Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. In Romans chapter 1, we're exhorted to serve in the gospel of His Son. We may think that this means just to preach the gospel, but we'll find out in today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee that to serve God in the gospel of His Son is far more involved than simply telling people the good news of Christ's salvation. The Life Study of the Bible is a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. We're very happy to have Ed Marsh back with us again to fellowship more concerning the Life Study of Romans. Welcome back, Ed. It's nice to have you. Well, Chris, it's good to be back again, especially for this classic exposition on the book of Romans that can really help us live the Christian life. Ed, today we begin a new section in the Life Study of Romans. And for the next several programs, we have recorded excerpts of Witness Lee speaking that date back to 1969. These messages were given in a time when the technology for the recording was a little different, and the, the listeners that have been following our program regularly will surely notice a difference. Uh, the microphone and the techniques used and the equipment were just different than what we've normally had. So we ask you to bear with us, and we apologize if any part of these tapes is difficult for you to understand. Now, Ed, all that being said, I wonder if you'd give us a short review of the topic of today's message entitled, Serving in the Gospel of His Son. Yes, Chris, this title comes from verse 9 of Romans 1, where Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Then in verse 1 of the same chapter, Paul said that he separated unto the gospel of God. Well, what we'll see in this broadcast and what we need to see is that when we refer to the gospel, we're talking about the full gospel of God. And we'll see that this gospel is focused on a wonderful person. This person is the Lord Jesus Christ who possesses both divinity and humanity. And what the Lord wants to do is he wants to conform us to his image as the firstborn son of God. And then lastly, what we'll see is that the righteousness of God is the power of the gospel of God. And I think this will be a very marvelous broadcast that will enlighten us and will also equip us with the truth so that we can communicate this glorious gospel to others. Let's join Witness Lee with our life study. We Christians always have this thought, the gospel is just the good news, telling people how Christ is the Savior and how the people are sinners and how they have to believe in him that they may be forgiven of their sins, that one day they will go to the heavens. But really it is not in this way. The gospel is much greater 
than what he thought. It's much, much more profound than what we imagine. The whole book is the gospel. It's only in this one book he mentions the gospel so many times. In the first part of the first chapter, he tells clearly what he's going to write. It's just the gospel of God. Let me read to you. Paul, a bound slave of Jesus Christ, a called apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which God promised us all in ancient time through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. If you are going to understand what is the gospel, you have to know the whole New Testament. Not new, the whole Old Testament. What does this word gospel mean? It means the glad tidings. It means also the good news. Now what is the content of the good news? I tell you, it really needs Ah, that we do understand what it talks about in the Old Testament. I just give you a little hint. You know, in Genesis 1, if you do realize what is to be in the image of God, you will jump up. Hallelujah! I'm just, just some dust. I'm just something earthen. But I could have the image of God. Amen. Don't you think this is the great tidings? Amen. Then in the second chapter, after man being created, man was put in front of what? Of the tree of life. Isn't this a nice word, life? Don't you like to hear this? Then how about in chapter 3 of Genesis? I just give you a little hint how to pick up these Jews, phrased things in the Old Testament as the elements, the contents of God. Then what is there in chapter 3? You may say, well, well, sorry, in chapter 3, the serpent came in. That's too bad. <laughs> so, hallelujah! In chapter 3, you have the seed of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent. Amen. Serpent, you come in. Hallelujah! We have the seed of women Amen. to deal with you. Amen. Well, I don't have the time. If I do, I will pick up all the things from page after page in the Old Testament. <laughs> These are the elements of the contents of the gospel. I tell you, brothers, every page in the Old Testament, there's something of the gospel. Oh, God promised this. Oh, separated into the gospel of God, which he promised, which he promised before by the prophets in the holy 
Scripture. Ed, the Apostle Paul's use of the term gospel of God in the first chapter of Romans is quite a bit more comprehensive than our normal or common understanding from the four books of the gospel at the beginning of the New Testament. Actually, the gospel is the revelation of the entire Bible, including the whole Old Testament and New Testament. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Chris. And, of course, Brother Lee did point this out, that we can see, even in the Old Testament, Christ is the content of the Old Testament as the very content of the gospel of God. Even in the book of Genesis, we can see from chapter 1, verse 26, that God's eternal purpose is to have a man expressing him in his image and representing him with his dominion to reign for him. Even in the book of Romans, we see in chapter 5, verse 17, that it is our destiny to reign in the life of Christ. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 1, 26. Well, throughout the whole Old Testament, we can see Christ spoken of in a prophetic way. Uh, if you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, it says that a virgin shall bear a child, and this child shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Also, when we go to chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, this verse says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us, his name shall be called Mighty God, Eternal Father. This is a prophecy concerning God becoming a man. It's a prophecy concerning the coming of Christ into humanity to save fallen humanity. And what's amazing, this was written 700 years before Christ was born. It's absolutely awesome. Isaiah 53 talks about Christ's human living. It speaks about Christ's all-inclusive death. If you look in the prophets, like in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, this verse speaks of Christ's resurrection. Psalm 2, verse 7, speaks of Christ's resurrection, when it prophesies that in resurrection, Christ would be begotten as the firstborn Son of God. Psalm 110, verse 1, prophesies concerning Christ's ascension. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a prophecy concerning Christ's ascension. The Old Testament also speaks concerning Christ's second coming in Daniel 7.13 and Zechariah 14. So what's amazing is even in the Old Testament, we have a full picture of God's eternal intention of his becoming a man, his human living, his all-inclusive death, his wonderful resurrection, his all-surpassing ascension, and his second coming. This is the marvelous gospel even revealed in the Old Testament. Of course, Ed, the Apostle Paul did not have any of the New Testament scriptures before him when he used this phrase, the gospel of God, referring to Christ. So for him, the gospel included all these marvelous pictures from the Old Testament that he was bringing the believers into. Yes, no doubt when Paul looked at the Old Testament, he saw Christ everywhere, Christ's person, Christ's work, and Christ's accomplishments, and he spoke of this in his 14 epistles. The Word of God is truly marvelous, Ed. Let's join Witness Lee for more Life Study Fellowship. The gospel has been promised by God through the generations in the past age by the prophets in the whole scripture concerning the sinners going to heaven. <laughs>
uh, concerning the forgiveness of sins, concerning the winning of souls. No. The concerning what? Concerning his son. The gospel is not a doctrine. The gospel is not a religion. The gospel is a person. A wonderful person. The son of God. Here he mentions clearly. He has two natures. He has the human nature as well as the divine nature. He is the Son of God, but He has the flesh. He is the descendant of man. No doubt this was by His incarnation. But this is just one aspect. Christ was dedicated, marked out, the Son By resurrection, as a man in the flesh, he was made the Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness. What is the Gospel? The Gospel is a person. What is this person? This person is too wonderful. He became flesh. Yet, he was made the Son of God. You have to realize, he was made the Son of God. This is different from his being Son of God in eternity. Could you follow me? He was Son of God in eternity. It has nothing to do with man. It has nothing related to the flesh. But now, he was made the Son of God. And his resurrection has too much to do with the human nature. Here is a man in the flesh. Yet this man in the flesh could be made and was made already to express God. What is the main point of the gospel? That is to make the man in flesh the son of God. In the first ten and a half chapters, it says that we all were not only in the flesh, but also sinful. Yet, we got justified. Then, in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, all these justified ones, we, being justified, are being Conformed, are being conformed to his image, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. And this is the central message of the book of Romans: to make all the sinful, fleshly people conformed to the image of the Son of God. To produce many sons of God. That the only begotten may become the firstborn of many brothers. A man in the flesh, by the name Jesus, was made the son of God. This is the model. 
This is the pattern. This is the example of the gospel. He was designated son of God. We also are designated sons of God. I tell you, brother, this is the main point of the gospel. In chapter 1, you just have one person, one person in the flesh, designated son of God. But in chapter 8, you have many people in the flesh, designated the sons of God. The first son of God will be the firstborn, the big brother among many brothers. In chapter 1, you have the mother, the parent. In chapter 8, you have the master. Yeah, the gospel in its simplest and most elementary understanding is that we might be forgiven of sins and inherit eternal life. But just this understanding really robs us of much of God's intention for us. Say something more about God's desire to produce or mass-produce to use the language that Witness Lee has used here, the many sons according to the pattern of Jesus Christ. The focus of the gospel is this wonderful person of Christ. Paul said he was separated to the gospel of God, and this gospel is concerning Jesus Christ, who possesses both divinity and humanity. And Romans 1, 3 through 4 tells us that in resurrection, this marvelous person was designated the Son of God. Now, what does this mean? Surely Christ was already the Son of God from eternity past. He was the only begotten Son of God. But as the only begotten Son of God, he possesses merely divinity. We know that as the only begotten Son of God, he became a man. He put on humanity. Well, through his death and in his resurrection, he brought his humanity into divinity. He uplifted it into divinity. And now in resurrection, he was designated the firstborn son of God, possessing both divinity and humanity. Now, if we look at Romans 8, 29, this verse tells us this. It says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This shows us God's intention in the Gospels. He has his firstborn son, Christ, but this shows that he wants many brothers of this firstborn. He wants many sons of God. And these many brothers of Christ were the mass reproduction of Christ as the firstborn son of God. This is absolutely marvelous and shows us that God's eternal intention is to have many sons of God, many brothers of Christ. Add your mention of verse 29 in chapter 8 about God's desire for many sons. As we've spoken before, I know there's a definite connection to the verse just preceding, verse 28. Would you say something more about how these two verses really work together? Yes, these verses work together because verse 28 tells us all things work together for good. And many Christians quote this verse out of context. What we need to see is the good in this verse is mentioned in verse 29. What is the good? The good is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ as the firstborn son of God. So what God does is he uses all the things in our environment and our situation, the heat, the pressure, the trials, the tribulations, the persecution, to 
transform us and conform us to Christ's image. But this promise is to those who love God. As we open to the Lord, as we tell the Lord, Lord Jesus, I love you, constrain me with your love to love you more. As we're loving him in the midst of our circumstances, he transforms us and conforms us to his image. And this is how all things work together for good. Ed, thank you for that additional fellowship. Let's go back to Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. To make so many people in the flesh to be conformed to the image of Christ, that they may be the sons of God. This is the central point. Then what is the power of this God? You may say the love of God. You may say the grace of God. You may say the spirit of God. But Paul doesn't say this thing here. Paul says the power of the gospel is the righteousness of God. You may say, well, we just don't know what Brother Lee talks about. Let me illustrate this to you. You know how to pay the rent. To pay the rent, is that a matter of love? (laughs) Because I love the landlord, so I pay him $250 a month. But the next month, it was awful. This landlord's awful. I stopped paying. Do you pay the rent in this way? You pay the rent according to what? According to grace? One day, oh, the sisters are so kind. The sister had a nice talk. Well, you see the landlord. He lost his wife, and he's quite old. I think it's better for us to pay him more. Instead of 250, we better pay him 400 dollars. I say grace. No. Do you pay rent in this way? No. You pay rent according to what? You pay the rent according to righteousness. You like it, you have to pay. You don't like it, you still have to pay. One day I got to see, oh, I am saved not only by the love of God. I am saved not only by the grace of God. I am saved by His righteousness. And I jumped up and I told God, regardless whether you like me or you like me, you have to save me. Even you don't love me, you have to save me. But just save me by your righteousness. Not by your love. I know your love is quite good, divine, eternal. But now, you are gone. Even you don't love me, you still have to save me. Oh, the landlord will tell you. Miss so and so, I don't care how they love me. I don't love you. You have to pay me the rent. <laughs> this is something by righteousness. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Please, the power of the gospel. Amen. And this very righteousness of God is Christ himself. Christ is not only God as love. Christ is not only God as grace. Christ is also God as righteousness. God is one. God 
just got himself back. Regardless how he feels about that. He has to. And this third section touches a point that, number one, I love very much, and also you and I have spoken about on a previous occasion, and that is that the power of the gospel, according to Romans, is righteousness. This may be a surprise to many people. Of course, we know the love of God and the grace of God are typically associated in this way. But here, Ed, what does it mean? The righteousness of God is the power of the gospel. Yes, Chris, this truth is seen in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Then in verse 17, he says, for the righteousness of God is revealed in it. Now, what does this mean? And how can we say that the righteousness of God is the power of the gospel? Well, Brother Lee used an excellent illustration, and that's the illustration of a landlord to whom a person owes rent. If a person owes rent to a landlord, let's say he has a big debt to pay to this landlord. The landlord is not just going to forgive him of that debt. He has to pay that debt. But let's say that this person has no way to pay the debt. So someone else comes along and pays the debt for him. He pays the landlord what this person owes him. Well, the landlord is bound by righteousness to forgive this person because the debt has been paid. Well, when we take this illustration and we apply it to the gospel, it's marvelous. We owed God a great debt because we fell into sin and we had no way to pay the debt of sin. But someone came along and paid this debt for us. And this was God himself becoming a man in Christ, going to the cross and dying for all of our sins. He paid the debt of sin on the cross. And now, when we believe in him and when we receive him, because he's righteous, he has to forgive us. He is legally bound to forgive us because the debt of sin was paid by him on the cross. This is good news. Even in our experience as Christians, 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. In other words, if we confess our sins, he's faithful in his word, firstly. But he's also righteous because of his precious blood. He paid the debt on the cross for our sins. And because he's righteous, when we confess our sins, he is bound by his righteousness to forgive us. This is more powerful than love because God is legally obligated to forgive us. We just should praise the Lord that the righteousness of God is the power of the gospel. Ed, I really love this, and I liked your reference to the point about righteousness being even more powerful than love. I don't know about you, but many times before the Lord, I don't feel that I'm that lovable. But whether or not I'm lovable, whether or not he loves me at that moment, he is bound by his righteousness both to save me and forgive me and to take me on day by day. This is good news, Ed. Yes, this is very good news. Ed, thank you for your fellowship again. We'll have two more programs on this very topic. I really encourage our listeners, stay tuned for those. 
and we'll be back tomorrow with another live study of the Bible with Witness Lee. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. You can now enjoy titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Visit lsm.org slash ePublications to find all that Living Stream has available. We support Kindle, Nook, iSilo, and ePub formats, which means you can enjoy this ministry on all kinds of PC and Mac devices. Many of our publications are also available on Amazon.com and at iTunes. But to see everything we have to offer, visit our website at lsm.org slash ePublications. Thanks for listening today.